107.1. The home of SAFM in Seapoint. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My guest is pharmacist and expert in complementary health and well-being. She's also life coach and coaches people who overeat and who have weight problems and use food to cope with emotional distress. Please help me welcome Julia Chris Squolo. Is that is that how you say Julia? Yes, that's perfect, Shada. Thank you so much. And Thank- I just absolutely loved your lunch bite. I was <laughs> sitting here riveted. I mean, those words of Janine Ross are just like, you know, when truth speaks, it speaks so loudly. And it's just, you know, it's, you hit the nail on the head by those words. I Amazing. tell you, I was so excited when I found her because, you know, oh, wow. and, and, and I could have said so many more things, but I just want people to buy the books. And, and just continue reading. Welcome, yes. Julia, and, and thank you so much. You know, I, I've been hearing very many success stories um, about the, the appetite suppressant pill, Duramine, and this is why we invited you, because I needed to understand its success and what it is and if there were, um, you know, risks to using it or dangers or after effects to using it. And then I discovered something that shocked me. But before I even talk to you about that, I want you to tell us what it is and what it contains. So, Shadoduramine is one of the weight loss uh, products that is prescription only because um, it's, uh, it's essentially an amphetamine. The active ingredient is phentamine, and it actually is quite similar to the infamous methamphetamine or crystal meth. Yeah. Um, so what it basically does, if you imagine walking down the street and you think someone's following you, your body straight away goes into high alert. Mm. So it's a flight or fight response. Okay, your adrenaline is pumped out. You're either going to turn around and face that person, fight them, or you're going to run away. And your body is designed in that moment to switch off certain things and switch on other things. So if you want to run away, it's going to switch on glucose pouring into your blood, mm-hmm. your heart rate is going to increase, your eyes are going to get wide open, you're going to have more energy, your muscles are going to get fired up because you're ready for action, you're going to flee. Mm-hmm. And what it does, it switches off the parts of the body that in that moment are not priority. And one of those is your digestive system. Okay. So it's going to shut down your digestive system and that's what phentamine actually works on. It puts your body in a low-level state of constant alertness so that your digestive system slows down and you don't feel hungry and so you consume less calories. So Julia, it, it must then affect parts of the brain. Absolutely, of course it does. It, it releases huge amounts of noradrenaline into your system um, because you're constantly in a state of hyper alert and it works on the hypothalamus which is your reptilian or ancient brain. So yes, indeed, that's why it's schedule five and you have to have a prescription. It's Schedule 5, and how much dosage? I mean, is a safe dosage? Because it works. It's working like a dream. But yes. I wonder what, you know, if, if, if it talks to your brain and shuts down certain things and puts you in a high alert kind of um, yes. space, yeah. how can you operate normally throughout the day while you use it? Well, thank goodness I've never taken the drug myself, and I never <laughs> will. But um, the state of alertness is enough to help you function, and you take the medicine in the morning. So by the time, and it's also in a slow-release capsule. They put a resin in with it so that it releases very slowly throughout the day. So by the time you get to the evening, it will have all been released, and hopefully you can get some good sleep. But it does have side effects. 
um, you know, it can give you hypertension, it can give you psychotic episodes, cardiovascular effects. It's definitely going to affect your, your gastrointestinal system mm. and also can cause um, changes in libido, edema, blurred vision. So it definitely, like most medications, has side effects. But unfortunately, some people are so determined to look a certain way that, you know, they sort of push aside those side effects and rather, you know, want to have the, the slimming effect. But it's not a long-term solution. And I think, Shada, you and I both know that. Yeah, no, we do. And, and oh, I, yeah. I just wonder if there's a safe um, amount that one can use. For instance, I know it comes in 15 milligram or 30 yeah. milligram capsules. Yeah. So, and, and, uh, and I'm not too sure how many one gets. Um, to see some kind of change in their weight. But I, I just wonder, is there a safe window period, for instance, because they're taking it daily, so is it, yeah. is, is it one month maybe, and when is it too much? Yes, of course. You know, the drug companies um, have designed the drug so that it's a, that, that safe window where it causes the stimulation, but not over the, otherwise you're, you know, you're running around like a mad person if you're constantly in a state of hyper-alertness. So obviously... You know, all medications have to meet safety, efficacy, and quality. So, you know, these drugs are tested, and um, they do meet criteria. So the dose recommended, the 50 or 50 milligram, is not going to completely throw you over the edge. But, you know, my gut instinct is long-term. You know, is this really good for the body on a long-term basis? That's what I'm asking, because I've seen some amazing results from people who are almost addicted to to them because now they they yes. this, they safe you know they they feel exactly. safe when they take one every day exactly. and and I just wonder because mm. I, I, I a young girl who in fact too young she went to school with my daughter yeah has has been using them and she looks absolutely amazing and she was overweight seriously mm. but now she's so scared of going back but it's affected her speech as well yes it's slightly slurry yeah. Yeah, exactly, Shadow. And that's the thing is that it's not liberating. It's actually enslaving you because like Jennifer Ross said in the beginning, that fundamentally if you don't address what is deep inside your soul, what is making you want to eat, what is making you overweight, if you don't address all the little, you know, gremlins in your psyche about weight and your body and what you need in order to feel okay, the diet pull is just, you know, covering the surface, it's a band aid treatment. When you come off that pill, and it is addictive, and you've also spoken about the fear of not having it, when you come off the pill, guess what? You have to face yourself. Mm, mm. You know, that pill does not change your thinking about your body, does not change your relationship with food, does not give you tools to help you deal with the emotions that you're running away from. Um, and that women often use food to cope with. It doesn't help any of those things. It's not empowering you at all. It's just giving you for a short period of time a sense of well-being and of course you feel great when you've lost weight. People respond to you positively. It's wonderful. But deep in your soul, there's fear because you know you're dependent on something external in order to have this kind of look and feeling. It's not ultimately sustainable. It's not empowering. It doesn't help you cope with life ultimately. So you walk in as life coach, and I've got a, a serious issue with my food, yes. whether yes. it be overeating or not eating enough. What yes. do you tell me to do? What do I have to think about first? Because I guess I'm responding to this inner thing we're talking about, yes. which is probably stress, which mm. is depression, 
which is possibly anger. What, how do I identify what it is in order to deal with it? Yeah, well, the first thing I do is listen to you. You know, just listen to your story. Where are you? What's happening? Because every person's got their own story. You know, on the outside, it looks the same. You eat too much. But when you start to peel back the layers, everyone's got their own story around food, their body. So listening is a huge part of what I do. And then in addressing it, I look at the physical, I look at the mental, emotional, and the spiritual aspect. So, of course, I address the physical. I look at, you know, what is happening in your life? What are you eating? Do you have metabolic syndrome? What is your lifestyle like? How does it lead to this relationship, this toxic relationship with food in your body, for example? Mm -hmm. Then that's like if you imagine an iceberg, that's just the part above the water. The two-thirds under the water is where the deeper issues lie. So looking at your emotional health. How do you deal with stress? How do you deal with boredom? How do you deal with depression, anxiety, fear, overwhelm? You know, do you know how it is to work with emotions? So I listen, I educate, I guide, and then look at the spiritual. In other words, what are you actually deeply hungry for? Mm -hmm. What is your soul hungry for? Mm -hmm. And most of the time it's not food. It's got a lot to do with who you are in the world and what, do you, what have you come here to do, mm. you know, on the deepest level. So it's a journey. There is no quick fix. It's a journey, and every person has their own unique journey that I support them in walking. Um, and, yeah. and it's not unique to just overeating. It's un it, it, it also talks to, uh, you know, alcoholism. It talks to Absolutely. just it's dependence. Yeah, it's dependence, really. Yeah, we, and we, Hannah, we're all the same. We all have a drug of choice. Every single one of us uses something to not feel. You know, whether it's sanitized as in work, which is positively accepted, mm -hmm. or whether it's like destructive like drugs and alcohol. But we all use something in our lives. You know, it could be relationship, codependency, where we don't want to feel bad feelings. So we're all the same. There's no judgment. We're all the same. It's just learning some tools that will help you navigate your emotional life to be able to, you know, look at the real issue which often is not food. And then you, you start to live a life where you have freedom around food. It no longer controls you, where you can have a chocolate and totally savor it, have no guilt around it, mm. and then enjoy your good food most of the time. But not because you should or you have to or you need to or you must. It's because it's a conscious choice based on self-love. What is it about us women? Why are we more susceptible or are we talking about it more than men? Yeah, I think that, you know, it is across the board. I think generally um, there is a lot more pressure on women in terms of what we look like and our body image, just generally speaking. And maybe women, we tend to be more at the mercy of our emotions sometimes. You know, so men tend to compartmentalize things, and obviously I'm generalizing. Mm -hmm. They feel as much as we do. They feel just as much as we do. But maybe they're, they're wiring in their brain. They're able to put things aside and say, okay, what have I got to do? Okay, I must do this. I'm not going to eat because I actually have to get, you know, do this. But again, I, I think it's a general rule. I think men and women have issues around food. Maybe it's just more talked about, you know, regards women. But I'm sure there are as many men as women who, who use food to cope. Because people, a lot of people are overweight, uh, you know, men and women. And um, I think a lot of it has got to do with, um, you know, emotional eating, amongst many other things. 
so so i'm i'm thinking how are we how were we socialized around food as as children and how can we make sure that young people today and our babies and children and grandchildren that we're bringing up are not socialized in the same way with you know the relationship you have with food and and the fear of not having that food or you know wanting to keep it and hoard it you know as 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 a, as, as, as I suppose as a, a solution to how you feel it Yes, well, you know, it starts off with a beautiful lunch bite, Chad, and it's about listening to your body. Mm-hmm. There is so much wisdom and natural intelligence that lives inside your body. And children are naturally there. They are connected to their bodies. They, they know what they like, what they don't like. Parents should be, be there to guide and suggest. But they shouldn't be a should, a must, a have to. You know, let's give your child the space to listen to their own body and, you know, offer them alternatives, but it should never be a should or a must or a have to. A parent should support the child in deepening that listening and not allowing life, school, whatever, to disconnect you from the deep intelligence of your body. Because when you start to listen and drop into your body, it will tell you straight away what it likes, what it doesn't like, when it's had enough. It's about dropping into your body and becoming present. You know, I talk a lot about mindful eating as well. And I know you've spoken about mindfulness on the show. Mm, mm. So, you know, as one tool that I might give to the listeners is practice mindful eating. So the next time you have a meal, sit down with your food, no distractions, no TV, no cell phone, Mm. not talking to anybody else, and have your meal in silence, putting one mouthful in your mouth, chewing it properly, completely, putting your knife and fork down, and only picking up your knife and fork when you've swallowed that mouthful. And you just keep doing that. And you'll find that you actually eat slower. And so, therefore, your body has time to register that, oh, food's coming in. You'll feel fuller quickly. And guess what? You'll actually feel satisfied earlier. You won't, you know, mindful eating is a sure way of preventing you from overeating because you're listening to your body. And if you look at children naturally, or even the animal kingdom, let's look at the animal kingdom, you don't find overweight animals because they're in tune with what they need. They eat just enough to give them energy to survive. And yes, of course, food is sensual and delicious. So I totally go with that. But come back to the wisdom of your body and practice mindful eating. Sure, you've said a mouthful there. <laughs> do you know? Yeah. Do you know? I I I I I think the other thing one has to add to that is eating around people because a lot of people eat alone yes. and don't want to be seen eating because they feel bad about what mm-hmm. they're eating. So if you eat around people and you savor and enjoy your food as mindfully as possible, yes. I think that also just, you know, you're not hiding it. You, you're just satisfied. It. Yes. In fact, I can never eat alone, which has become a great problem because when, when there's no one else to eat with, then I don't eat. You know? Yes, and both are true. It's, it's always both, you know. Eating alone, can you find a joy in that? And can you find a joy in being with others? It's never either or. It's just when it's out of balance. Mm. So mm. both are true. You love eating with people, you know, in your heart. You're enjoying. It's, it's so nourishing to your whole being. And also, can you find the deliciousness of having a meal alone and dropping into the sensuality 
of that food. Oh, yum, yum, yummy. <laughs> I'm loving it. Listen, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask for your details. Can we, can we ask, guide people towards your, um, your yes. internet if you have your, your website so that, that, you know, we, we could, we could help a lot of people who are battling with yes. either not eating or eating too much, but eating for the wrong reason as well. Uh, but before I do that, I'm going to ask you, uh, should we have only prescribed, uh, uh, what, what do you call it? You, you pronounce it differently. Duramine. Dur- mm. Should it be prescription only? Because I, I, don't, I don't know how people are getting prescriptions, but I, I'm worried that maybe some of it is, is gotten in, in a not so good way. Yeah, well, you know, the appetite suppressants was clamped down in a big way many years ago. You know, when I was at pharmacy, they used to get thins and eatness and a lot of appetite suppressants, and they were all taken off the market which is sort of making them go on the, on the black market, but I do feel definitely it should be prescription because, you know, it's, it's, it's really not something that one should be taking with you. Know, the appetite suppressants are really not the answer. And there's actually many natural ways of suppressing your appetite. Mm. Um, you know, just have more fiber in your feet. Eat mindfully. Drink more water. Um, those are simple ways where you can actually suppress your appetite and not have to resort to anything chemical. Well, Julia, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Give us your website address, please. Thank you. I'm going to give you my email, Shadow. Okay. It's G for good. Mm-hmm. At mm-hmm. Spiral Connect. Yes. Spiral Connect, all one word, dot z-a dot net. Oh, okay. So G yes. in, in, in the G spot type thing. G yes. at spiralconnect.za.net. dot net. Correct, yes. Fantastic. No, and I must tell you, Shadow, I've been listening to Otherwise for 25 years. <laughs> I've, been, I've followed Hillary, Nancy, yourself. I take this program every single day and listen to it. I just love this program. I am an absolute fan. Well, we Otherwise. love you. You've just told us your age, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. I love this program. Thank you so much for the wisdom and richness you bring to all our lives. Oh, we love you too. Thank you so much. So Thank much, Julia. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And it's G at spiralconnect.za.net. And when we come back, um, whew, I, I just, I'm so glad we spoke about that. We're talking about um, the first skin, South Africa's first skin banking program after this. Great stories told by great personalities. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Cleo is the current manager of the Center for Tissue Engineering, which she joined in 2005. And she joins me now to talk to us about the launch of South Africa's first skin banking program by the Swana University of Technology Center for Tissue Engineering. Hello, Cleo. Hi, Cheryl. It's good to be here. How are you? Well, good to talk to you, Cleo. When I saw this, I thought, what? Skin banking? What is that? Yeah, we get that a lot. Do you, hey? Because I can't imagine how it works and and, and what what it's for. So, but let's go back a bit. The the Center for Tissue Engineering, what what does it do? Okay. We are actually a tissue bank. We are managed by Swanee University of Technology, Mm -hmm. and we fall under the Faculty of Science at the university. And uh, we've been around since 2002, so it's about 14 years now that we've been, uh, you know, around. 
And we started uh, those years ago just with uh, bone and ligaments, and we've been growing, you know, systematically ever since then, and skin happens to be the last uh, or the latest addition to our tissue uh, banking program. When you say bone and ligaments, what are you talking about? I'm talking about actual bone. People um, always say to me, are you talking about bone marrow? No, no, no. It's no. actual bone. The actual bone that, uh, you know, the heart part that uh, you know. So what happens is doctors will use that to a, a donated bone to transplant into another individual that has either sustained serious injuries to their own bone, you know, mm-hmm. or they've had uh, cancer or tumors developing on the bone or they've just had bone degenerative diseases. So maybe then the bone is just not healing properly or it's not in a position to, um, that person is not in a position to be either to be able to walk or run or work. So they will do then a bone transplant and that part of the bone that is a problem will be replaced. You need to educate me and very slowly here. Because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine at what point do you get the bone and how, how do you store them and if yeah. they have a lifespan, for instance? Let's start from the beginning. We have, you and I, we make a decision right now while we're still alive that we would like to become donors. Mm-hmm. And you register yourself as an organ and tissue donor. Mm-hmm. What we do is tissue donation. It's very similar to organ donation, a little bit different in a way that with organs, you have to be declared brain dead. You have to be in hospital and, you know, the then the procurement of organs needs to be done there in ICU or in theater, and there has to be a match, you know, Mm -hmm. for the recipient. Mm -hmm. With tissues, however, um, you don't have to die in hospital, and you definitely don't have to be declared brain dead. Mm -hmm. It's all the other ways, many other ways that people die that, um, that you can qualify, that can qualify you as a tissue donor. So meaning if you die at home or you die in a car accident and you are declared dead on arrival at hospital or anything like that, then you automatically qualify as a tissue donor. Because remember, as an organ donor, only 5% of deaths is actually, actually will qualify to be for organ donation because you have to be declared brain dead. Stay with me, me, Cleo. We're taking news headlines. I'm loving this. Um, I wonder how the skin works. (laughs) So, Utsi, let's start with news headlines. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, see the world from a woman's point of view. Kionzov is talking to us about the tissue bank and, uh, uh, you know, the first skin banking program. So, so, Cleo, I'll get back to why and how we donate eventually, but mm. I'm glad you've made it important because I really was always thinking that, you know, it was the heart and the soft tissues that you, mm. you gave, but not bone as such. And I'm, I'm very excited to know that the, the rest of the body is being used effectively when you don't need it anymore. But how did the skin uh, become interesting? Okay. So um, traditionally or, you know, over the years, doctors in South Africa or burn surgeons in South Africa have either been importing skin from overseas or um, using maybe relatives. If you, maybe your child has sustained burns, they will normally ask the mother to donate skin and they will then do the procurement in hospital and use that skin as uh, for the skin graft. Mm-hmm. 
However, you know, that means that you now have two patients. You have the child that has burns and you mm. have her mother that is now also need to be taken care of because you've created a wound by procuring the skin from her. So what the, our skin banking program is actually, the solution that it's providing is that um, you, we're minimizing that kind of thing. We, um, you know, families also now become patients. We get the skin from donated from cadavers or from people who die and people who have made the decision to become uh, a tissue donors. So when you die, then the tissue bank, us, we will go the, then either to the hospital or to the funeral home. Sometimes we work in and or in the mortuary where the skin will then be procured. It will be be brought back to the tissue bank. It will be processed and, and um, made ready for grafting. A whole lot of tests will also be performed, like your HIV, hepatitis mm. B, C, that sort of thing, to make sure that the skin is safe for grafting. And once all those tests have been done and it's cleared, then the, the processing will begin. The skin will be ready. As soon as the hospital or a burn session uh, requires it, it, it is then transported to wherever the hospital is and the doctor will then use it. And how they use it is that many people always say, but now I'm going to be walking around with different patches of skin and I'm going to be looking, you know, like a white person on my arm. And, uh, you know, it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> what they do is, remember now, when you sustain burns, your body is shocked, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's mm-hmm. traumatized because that protective layer that is on top of, you know, that's covering your body is now removed, meaning your body is now mm-hmm. uh, uh, vulnerable. It's susceptible mm-hmm. to infections. You're losing fluids. You're losing heat. You're losing proteins and electrolytes. You know, so your body goes into shock, and therefore it doesn't know what to do. So what the skin grafting procedure does is, the, the doctor will then take the donated skin. They will prepare your wound accordingly. They will cover your wounds with the, the donated skin. And your body will then come down because it now has that protective cover that it's used to. And then your body will then get an opportunity to regenerate new cells and for your burns to heal. Mm-hmm. The procurement process, can you, can you talk to me more about that? Okay. So we have um, retrieval officers. We call them retrieval officers. These are technicians that actually go to the hospital or um, the mortuary, as I mentioned, to actually do the procurement. And they use an instrument called a dermatome. And this is um, basically to peel off the the top layer mm-hmm. of the skin, mm-hmm. just the epidermis. <laughs> And <laughs> I don't know why I asked. I'm getting goosebumps as you're talking about this. Okay. Okay, don't go ahead. Thank God and me, Zero. Stay with me. <laughs> okay. And that top layer, just the thin top layer will be removed. The donor will still look normal. You basically look as though you have had, you know, for white people, most of the time it looks like they've been sunburned. So it's not as if when they remove the skin, now you have muscles and things exposed mm-hmm. and it looks terrifying. No, you still look normal. Uh, the funeral arrangements can carry on as normal because the family can dress you. There's very little bleeding, sometimes no bleeding at all. And, you know, the, the way we procured the skin, like your arms, 
your thigh area, the back of the thighs, your tummy area at the back, because as a matter of principle for the Center for Tissue Engineering, we do not, we wouldn't procure skin from your face or your neck where, you know, because we want the, the funeral to carry on as mm. normal. We want your family mm. to be able to view and open, to have an open casket viewing is, if that's what they want. So we will only procure from those larger areas that will be hidden with clothes. Is there is there a, a part of the body that's more um, preferred, if you like, for lack of a better word, uh, the best skin? I mean, I can imagine maybe the backside because it's softer, it's easy to work with, or does it not no. matter? Or all skin is skin except for, of course, the face and the and the neck. Yeah. Look, all skin is skin, but it is easier to procure from larger surface areas. Mm. You know, like like I'm saying, the tummy area, the back, because you can get nice large pieces mm. from the, the the thigh area, the calf. If you very very thin, you know, uh, it means that the dermatome will have to be adjusted to to the correct size. Yeah, and that's basically how it happens. How does the the, the the recipient benefit from this? Is it is it less um, less painful if if you like, or, or less trauma less traumatic when when they get this new skin? Than it is. Mm. It is. It is so much better because you know it's less painful, like you're saying. If mm. you walk into a burn unit in, in a hospital, you hear people screaming because it's so painful. Burns are really painful. And people die, especially children. People die from burns because your body goes into shock. And some people die from the trauma of it, mm. you know, and, and all the infections that are now taking advantage of this exposed body. And it's a life-saving procedure, Shadow. And also, you know, it, it reduces scarring a lot. Mm. Uh, if you see a burn uh, um, scar or, or a burn patient that was treated with cadaver skin versus a burn patient that wasn't, uh, the scarring is so much less um, in your face, mm. should, I, should I say. So, Claire, how long does it keep, um, the skin itself, when you've, when you've procured it? Um, and and it's at the bank. How long does it keep before use? Well, the, our process of making it ready for for use it takes uh, about uh, two weeks, I would say, mm-hmm. to for it to be ready, and then we can bank it for about two years, okay. up to two years with the process that we're using. But you don't, you know, if I'll tell you, we've never had skin in the, in, in, in the tissue bank that lasted for more than a month. So it is in demand. It is in demand. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of people volunteering to donate or people wanting to donate. You know, people always say when you approach a family, they will tell you, oh, no, you know, I don't know if... Shadow would have wanted this. Mm. I don't know if this is something that we should. We've never talked about it. So, therefore, they say no. So, if people can just make the decision and talk to their families, talk to their next of kings about this, so that that decision is easier when the time comes, that will help a lot. But I think you also, as as part of the, the, the bank, should go on an education drive. Because it's it's the first I heard about it, mm-hmm. and I, that's why I was so fascinated to talk about it. Because I think if it if it if it is in such demand, how many people can we help? And now mm-hmm. I'm hearing that it's not only that, not only skin, but 
You need bone. You need hard valves. You need corneas. Corneas. I mean, hello. Yay. Why don't you go out and talk to us about this stuff? We are. We are trying our best to be out there. Remember, as a tissue bank, we are a non-profit organization, which is mm. why we're managed by an academic institution. Mm. So we are on a cost recovery basis. We don't have lots of money to do these fancy marketing, you know, uh, our drives and whatnot. Mm. But we do our best to be on radio, to be on TV, and to be in newspapers. Uh, a lot of it is sponsored, which we appreciate, and we are always willing to accept more sponsors to do public awareness because we are aware of how much we need it. People don't know. Cleo, on another day I'm going to ask you what prompted you to do a job like this. But not today. today, It's a long story. (laughs) Well, we'll get together for that one. But how do we find more information, Cleo? Okay, please go to the website. It's www.tissuedonation.org.za. And, you know, about 99% of your questions will probably be answered there. But if not, then you can send an email on the website. There is a link to for you to send an email to info at tissuedonation.co.za. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can phone us on 0860-847783. Oh eight six zero eight four double seven eight three eight three. Fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And we'll much talk for again, I'm sure of that, yes. I hope so. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you so much. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. The website is www.tissuedonation.org.za. If you have it in you, I think uh, let's help the people that need, especially if you're no longer going to be there, to use whatever tissue is is being sought for at the moment. So 0860-847783. When we come back, talking about closing the immunization gap as part of Global Vaccination Week with Professor Nicolette Duplessis. Some things come naturally to SAFM, SAFM. like being SA's news and information leader. SAFM, 104 to 107. Uh, my guest is Pediatric Infectious Diseases Specialist at the University of Pretoria, Professor Nicolette Duplessis. Hello. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me to the show. Well, thank you for making it, Professor. Mm-hmm. You had a bit of a, 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 an emergency last week, but we insisted that we want to talk to you. So thank you for making the time. Now, talk to us. Uh, what's supposed to happen during Global Vaccination Week, which started on the 24th? So um, it's actually a week that was set out by the WHO just to make us aware again and to inform us, us of the importance of vaccination. Mm-hmm. And it's not only important as mums we know about children needing their vaccines and following a schedule, but it's also important for all of us, um, including adults, um, pregnant ladies, travellers, um, so throughout our lives, it's important to know when you're up to date with your vaccines and to get vaccinations when it's necessary. Where do we stand in South Africa at the moment as, as far as the coverage of vaccination? As you say, all of us as, as little babies and young people get vaccinated, but and now you've just said adults as well, and I'm thinking, oops, I haven't had a vaccination for a while except for yellow fever and that sort of thing. But how often should we be, and where do we stand as far as uh, that, that knowledge is concerned in South Africa? 
So most people are aware of the EPI schedule. So that is the schedule that we have our road to health booklets for and we take the kiddies to a public or a private clinic to get immunizations. Mm -hmm. And um, that is the sort of program that's running at the moment mostly in South Africa. The coverage, unfortunately, for that is not that good. We are not meeting the WHO standard of a 90% coverage at our third DTP or diphtheria, tetanus and pertussis booster that kiddies need at 14 weeks of age. So we're not doing um, too good on that level. Why are we not doing good? Well, there's a lot of reasons. I think one of, one of them is just um, trying to get to the clinic and, and um, creating awareness of the importance of at least completing that schedule. I think for mums, when you give birth, it's normal to go maybe at six weeks, but we find that visiting the clinics after that um, is, is a problem for mums, and it might be a cost or financial issue or traveling long distances. So there are numerous reasons why people don't get to the clinic and I think this week is really just to create awareness amongst mothers and adults that we need to try and make that effort and, and get those vaccines on board for, for our children. How much education is being done though to, and again I talk about education and going out to people and advising them and getting information to them through the, the health centres and their clinics? So that's quite good. There are a number of um, vaccine campaigns running throughout throughout the year, and uh, with new vaccines, there are a number of campaigns being being run. So I think it's just a case of being aware that vaccines, you know, remain important for all of us, and there is a reason why you need a specific schedule. And if you need three. Um, three doses of a vaccine to, to make sure that you receive all three. Um, so there are campaigns that, that are run throughout the year, and I think it's just for all of us to, to, to again, be reminded of them and, and be aware, um, if it's running, that you, you need to go and get vaccinated. And is, 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 you said the coverage wasn't too good in South Africa. Let's look at the rest of the continent. How are we doing there? So we are not doing... Too badly, but um, a few years ago we were actually number three um, when, when it comes to, to vaccine coverage. Um, so, so yes, we're we're an, in the top, but there's still a lot to to be done. Um, like I said, we were about third, um, third uh, when it comes to coverage a few years ago. Professor Duplessis, let's talk about adults and, 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 you know, the kind of vaccinations we should be getting and when we should be getting them and when we need to be aware. So I think the important thing as an adult is to understand that immunity is not a lifelong thing. So whether you had um, the natural infection or whether you had the vaccine as a child, that immunity or that protection will wane over time, mm -hmm. over a few years. And so it's important to be aware that most of us during our adult time will need what we call boosting. Okay. Now, there are also amongst us as adults certain groups that are high risk, for example, pregnant ladies mm -hmm. um, that need certain uh, vaccinations when they're pregnant. Travelers, most of us traveling, you said you had a yellow fever vaccine. Mm -hmm. When you're traveling to certain countries, one needs to visit travel clinics and get the recommended um, vaccinations. 
then most of us are also aware of immune-compromised adults um, that also need um, certain vaccinations from time to time. So this boosting, um, uh, how often should I check whether I need to boost or not? So it depends what you what you need to boost. I think the important information is to discuss with your healthcare worker mm. um, and the healthcare professional what what vaccines have you received um, and when do you need boosting. So typically anything between five or ten years, for example, mm. you'll need to be boosted with some of the vaccines. Most of us are aware of something like tetanus, which if you were injured, you know they're going to ask you when when was your last tetanus shot and do you mm. need a new one. Mm. So in a similar fashion, um, you need to sit down with your healthcare professional and get a plan for yourself, almost your own road to health booklet with um, what vaccines you need, when and, and how often you need it. Professor Nicolette Duplessis, thank you so much for your time. Where do we find more information and how do we become part of this vaccination week? I know you said we must go and get information about ourselves, but how else can we assist? So the, the, inf- the information is on the WHO website and then the Department of Health website. Um, so I would encourage your listeners to actually go and visit that. And your main source of information always is uh, the local healthcare professionals and clinics. And I would um, encourage them to discuss vaccination with their healthcare professionals. We thank you so much for your time and have a thank great you. day off tomorrow. Thank you so much. Take care now. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's Professor Nicola Duplessis, Pediatric Infectious Diseases Specialist at the University of Pretoria. It is time now for our children's program, Nali Bali.